Voluntary Input is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast, make money doing it. Go to anchor.fm slash start to join a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Never forced, never coerced. Welcome to Voluntary Input, episode four, The Wrap-Up. My name is Leo Allen, and this week I just wanted to touch on a few headlines that caught my attention for the month of March and the past couple of weeks in particular. As usual, please check me out online at leojallenjr.com, and while you're there, select the contact link and shoot me an email with any questions, comments, concerns, show ideas, and any corrections. Again, welcome to Voluntary Input. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to episode four of Voluntary Input, the wrap-up brief. Today, I'm just going to touch on a few things that happened uh, throughout the month of March and primarily within the last couple of weeks. It was like it was a firestorm of, of things happening all at once. And so I just wanted to recap on those things that caught my interest and that I think would be of interest to you. And of course, leading the way, as always, is Facebook. It seems like Facebook is always something that's always happening over there. It's almost every other day at this point. Um, and unfortunately, the news is never necessarily good. It's almost always bad. Now, this recent story that uh, came out was basically how Facebook admitted that they learned that literally millions of user passwords were being kept on a plain text document on uh, for those are passwords for Facebook as well as Instagram. Now, of course, Facebook said that they have no immediate evidence that this calls, uh, you know, that any accounts or passwords were compromised. But that doesn't excuse the fact that uh, a company the size of Facebook and the for as long as they've been doing this and being a tech firm, they should know better. But the fact that the matter is, you know, it happened. And of course, Facebook, in their usual fashion, they said, we're sorry, and it'll never happen again. But instead of berating Facebook, I didn't want to get into all that. And instead, I wrote a piece uh, on my website, leojallenjr.com, because what this issue actually, uh, what happened at Facebook actually helps remind us all is that we need to be more diligent and careful about how we use passwords. Now, security experts agree that the use of passwords is no longer an effective security model. But, you know, until the day comes when uh, something's more widely available and that it's more widely adopted, it's important to always remember a few, you know, simple rules that help protect you in the event of something like this where, you know, your passwords may be compromised on a on an extremely huge tech site like Facebook. So, you know, first of all, never, ever, ever use the same password for everything you log into. Uh, 
Now, I know a lot of people who do this because, you know, it gets annoying. You have so many things that you log into and you got to remember all these passwords. And, you know, I will always tell you, don't write your passwords down on a piece of paper or post it and leave it laying around. But the fact of the matter is, it is not a good security practice to use the same password across multiple sites. And the problem there is, is because if one of those sites that you use gets hacked, uh, for example, someone figures out how to get to that text document that Facebook has with your password on it, and you just so happen to use that password for your banking account, your credit card account, and whatnot, it just makes it that much easier for the person whoever got your password from Facebook, it makes it that much easier for them to move on to something more serious like those financial accounts that you have and just use that same password and log right in and then there you go. It's just not good practice to continue to use the same password over and over again. Also, never ever use uh, social media passwords for logging into more important services like things containing your personal information and your financial information. So let's say, hey, you know, I warned you, don't use the same password over and over again. But at least if you're going to, please at least make a habit that any password that you use over and over again, don't make it be one of your social media passwords. So for example, let's say you make a password for your online banking and you also use that password for your credit card or if you have to log into like a, uh, you know, a retirement fund, a 401k fund or whatnot. Okay, you use those passwords over and over again, but whatever you do, don't make that be the same password that you use for Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Just if you can, just keep those things separate. I think that's the, the bottom line takeaway. Whatever passwords you're using for social media, never use them for anything serious. And as always, always use the strongest passwords possible. Now, although you think, and I catch myself doing this, you think you can think of some strong, unique passwords, you know, but studies have shown over and over again that a thing comes into play called entropy. And basically, it's saying that we as humans, we will inevitably tend to follow a pattern. So, for example, if you say, you know what? I'll use fluffy chicken 819 exclamation point. The problem is eventually you're going to start using other passwords that allude to that same thing, that same fluffy chicken number special character. Whether you realize it or not, you will start doing that because we're humans. So as such, you may want to consider using something, you know, a password tool like LastPass that can randomly generate passwords for you. And not to mention, it manages all your passwords for you. So you don't have to keep, you know, trying to remember, how do I keep a log of all those? LastPass stores all those. And when you go to a site that you're gonna log into, you just, you know, you pop up, you just open LastPass and click on that site and it will log in for you with the saved, randomly generated strong password. And all the information is encrypted. Now, again, you can go to my website, leojallenjr.com, and you'll see a uh, posting there that I wrote about Facebook and reminding us about security. 
and there you'll see the uh, there's a link there that uh, takes you to an article that details what actually happened with Facebook and Instagram, as well as there's a link there to uh, get you over to LastPass and some other uh, security suggestions. All right, moving on from Facebook. Another interesting thing that happened was Google announced its online streaming gaming service called Stadia. Now, initially, yeah, I'm excited about this. I think this is a great move because one of the biggest hurdles for gaming, especially online gaming, for a lot of people can be, yeah, we're online gaming, but I also still have to buy an Xbox. I still have to buy a PlayStation. You know, you're constantly buying these consoles. Some games are, you know, they're only available on Xbox. Some are only available on PlayStation. And if you have friends that you would love to play online with them, you can't because you don't have the right console and yada, 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 and so on and so forth. Well, what Stadia is, you know, what Google is attempting to do with Stadia is to bring all that together. And essentially, everyone can play the same titles together regardless of what piece of equipment they're using now of course they're going to primarily aim this at uh, chromebook users because you know chromebooks essentially exist in the cloud anyway so according to google you should be able to pull up a game and you have your own instance of it and so you could co-play with a friend either sitting right there on the couch with you or a friend miles and miles away because they are loading their own instance of it. And all the payload is being handled on all of Google services or Google servers. The only problem with this is, well, one of the problems with this is that Google did not address what's known as the last mile, which basically is what happens to your internet speed as it comes from your internet service provider to your house? That last step from, yeah, it doesn't matter how many servers that Google's throwing at these games and how fast they're pushing them out. Google claims there's going to be almost no latency. There's still going to be that factor of getting to your house. Just because they're pushing them out fast, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to arrive at your house fast. But again, Google says that this will be a non-factor and we'll have to wait until they actually release it because all stadia was at this point was an announcement now one of the biggest uh dark clouds to all this is the fact that a lot of people don't trust google because of their track record of killing apps you know apps and services once people start adopting them and loving them, next thing you know, Google says, uh, oh, we're killing it. Now, if you need some examples of this, there's Hangouts. Google Plus is going away. You know, as a matter of fact, it's next week is it's, it's it. It's over. There's Allo and Inbox, just to name a few. As a matter of fact, there's a Google Graveyard website that details all the apps and services that Google has killed over the years. So, you know, not only does this make people who want to use Stadia take pause because, you know, in the back of the mind, their minds, everyone's thinking, yeah, I might love this, but how long is it going to last? Is it going to be two years down the line or five years down the line? And Google says, ah, you know what? Never mind. We're killing it. And we're moving on to something else because Google is notorious for that. And not to mention the developers. 
essentially Google is asking developers to jump on board. And yes, uh, Unity has said that uh, development, the development cycle should be the same through Unity for developing games and putting them on Stadia. But the problem is, if you go through all that work as a developer and you develop your game and you get it pushed out there to Stadia, how long is that going to last? Is it going to be worth your time? Is Google just going to kill it? You're going to go through all this work developing, get your game together, get it out there, and then, eh, never mind, Stadia, we're killing it and we're moving on to the next thing. Now, everyone knows, well, most people know, I am all in Android, I am all in Google services and Chromebook, but you know, there is no denying that Google does have a problem with this, creating things and then just killing them, create, kill, create, kill, and they've got to rein this in. And one, another sad side note to that is Google acts like they, they don't even see that they do this. You know, they don't admit to it. There's never any real talk about or any press release about how you know, the cycle of the scattered brain activity that Google engages in. And to be quite honest, this is one of the, one of Google's Achilles heels, you know, um, you can see it where, you know, even in their hardware sector, there's people who are like, you know, yeah, I, I, those pixel phones look great, but how long is Google going to keep making them? How long until they pull the rug out from under those? So, yeah, it was a great announcement. Like I said, I'm excited for it. But sadly, Google's track record just doesn't look good as far as, you know, are people really going to be engaged in it? And how long will it last until Google kills it? Now, on the uh, polar opposite of that, Apple also had an announcement event in which they announced uh, Apple Arcade, which is kind of the same... um, you know, the online gaming experience that Google promises. And, you know, although Apple has a better track record with uh, developers, uh, the problem I see here is that Apple um, wants games to be developed exclusively for arcade. So even in their announcement, they repeatedly said, and if you look at any of the, uh, the teaser advertisements, exclusive Apple arcade titles. So, Basically, they're telling developers, hey, make some games, but we want you to only make them for Apple Arcade. So that uh, begs the question, if you're a successful app developer, you know, you're used to making apps for uh, the App Store and pushing them out there and, you know, you're making some good money. Why, why would you, you know, pivot from that model and suddenly start developing games exclusively uh, for Apple Arcade? And part of the problem is, just like with Google, Apple has said there, you know, they have mentioned no price structure. They haven't talked about any uh, developer payouts. They're not saying how much it's going to be for this server, this service for people to use it and so on and so forth. So, but basically they had this announcement and they said, hey, developers, this is uh, Apple Arcade. Go make games exclusively for Apple Arcade. Now, of course, I wasn't at the event. I don't know if there was some extra literature passed out about all this. But on its surface, I don't quite get um, how this could be that successful. I mean, of course, there are going to be developers who will make games. But will they be those big name titles? Uh, will you see a Fortnite in Apple Arcade? I honestly, seriously doubt it. You're not going to see that. Um, 
and that's just my take on it. And, you know, of course, Apple, uh, they announced some other things like uh, Apple uh, TV Plus, uh, some exclusive shows. They had Oprah on stage. And as a lot of people pointed out on the Internet, uh, Steven Spielberg showed up, even though he basically blasted uh, the Oscars saying that Netflix movies and original series or Netflix and the original movies should never be considered. Any streaming content should never be considered for uh, for Oscars. And yet now he's saying he's going to make original content for Apple. So what? Uh, what Steven, uh, <laughs> I guess, I guess it's different when you're looking at that Apple money. <laughs> That's the only way I could see it. Um, so with all that being said, I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to wrap up some other, uh, interesting things that I saw this week, uh, this month and this week, and we'll close it out from there. There are currently about 150 million orphans worldwide. The current recorded number of orphans living in foster care in the U.S. is about 400,000, with one-third of them being eligible for adoption. More than 20,000 of these children will age out of foster care, leaving them without any support and at a higher risk for health issues, homelessness, and lack of education. In my home state of Ohio, there are over 12,000 children in foster care, with over a thousand of them aging out annually. Please be sure to subscribe to Voluntary Input for the upcoming series, For the Least. Hear how ordinary people like you have made the choice to step out in faith to help these children in need. Learn about current challenges that are faced, as well as the tools and resources to overcome them, and how you can help. Learn how you can do your part to advocate for the least. Now in other news, and this one's a big one. This is something that's been going on for quite some time. Uh, people have been fighting it left and right. Uh, I have no better way to put it other than the European Union is basically trying to kill the Internet as we know it, at least over in uh, Europe. So what happened was the other day, the EU Parliament passed two very controversial articles, Article 17 and 15. I believe at one time they were called Article 11 and 13. Yeah, as a matter of fact, just looking at my notes here, yeah, 17 was originally known as Article 13, but uh, for whatever reason, they changed it. I, I have no idea why. So essentially, um, one of the reasons why Article 17, which was previously 13, is huge, is, uh, I'm just going to read this verbatim, is... Um, Sites that host user-generated content that have been available for more than three years earn over 10 uh, million euro and have more than 5 million unique monthly visitors will be required to either actively license content from the original copyright holders or purge all copyrighted material from their servers. 
This will likely require the likes of YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter to utilize an upload filter in order to police the matter, automatically rejecting content before it is uploaded. So what does all that mean? So basically, as it stands now, let's start with YouTube. Uh, I remember years ago, I did this by accident. I was trying to upload a uh, Prince video. Uh, this was back when Prince was still alive. And if a lot of you don't know this, or those of you who don't know this, Prince never, ever wanted any of his content on the likes of YouTube. But, you know, there were some crafty little ways around it. Uh, so I created a unique what I thought was a unique video and put a print song on there. By the way, it was Joy of Repetition, one of his best songs ever. <laughs> uh, in either case, it got almost immediately flagged and uh, YouTube took it down and I got put into, at the time, what was called YouTube Jail. Basically, they made you uh, watch some copyright videos before you were allowed to, to post again. And that kind of thing still stands today. Uh, Google has implemented a policy of where if you upload something or if you're a, uh, an influencer or content creator and you create a video and it contains some information that someone who holds a copyright to that information objects to, they can submit an objection. The content gets taken down. Google will notify you and you have time to... Uh, to basically you know, state your case and you'll either get it to uh, you'll be able to get the content placed back up or or whatever, whatever the consequences may be. But in either case, there's already a system in place as far as YouTube is concerned. Basically, what this uh, Article 17 is saying in the EU is that kind of doesn't even matter. Uh, now, these companies will basically have to stop you before the fact. Of course, they, I'm sure in this day and age, they can create the tools and algorithms and AI and whatnot to uh, police this stuff before you're able to even upload it. But the problem is, this is going to create a heavy burden for the smaller player, you know, the smaller players in the game. So, there, you know, let's just not forget that YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, those aren't the only things that matter online. There are all kinds of services and websites out there that you may have never even heard of or that I may have never even heard of. And people are sharing content on them, you know, all the time. But what's going to happen now is unless those people who own those sites or host those sites unless they come up with a way to police people from uh, uploading this copyrighted material, they could face some huge fines and possibly uh, end up dismantled. As a matter of fact, uh, from researching this and from things I've heard over the months about this, um, Germany implemented a similar law and Google basically left. Uh, no, not Germany. I'm sorry. I think it was Spain and Google basically just pulled out because, uh, you know, content creators or whatnot, they were just getting crushed as well as publishers. They're getting crushed because they couldn't use things like, uh, you know, links that contain snippets and whatnot. So now you may think, well, I don't live in the EU. It's not important. Well, it's very important because believe it or not, what happens on the Internet on the other side of the world affects us here, too especially if you're a person who's a content creator or if you sell things online 
and you've ever done any business overseas, this is going to impact you. Now, Article 15, which is uh, which was previously known as Article 11, is they call this one the link tax, which uh, targets sites uh, like news sites like Google News and whatnot. And basically, yeah, this is the one that actually failed in Spain, which made Google simply remove its news app from that entire country. Um, basically, what this one says is if you search for content online and you know how when you look up something on Google and it comes up and it says, you know, it gives you the search result and there's a there's a link, but it also contains little snippets of information, maybe even a picture as to where the link came from and how you can click on it and go to it. Basically, this, this just kills that stuff. Otherwise, they have to pay the original content creators to even show that stuff. So, for example, let's say you look up um, Pufferfish. If you just do a Google search for Pufferfish, and you'll see some sites pop up, you know, some links pop up, and let's say one of them's a PBS Nova uh, documentary about pufferfish and we all know now how that how that looks you'll see it and you go oh yeah there's a good one that looks like some very valuable uh, valuable information the problem is before google is even allowed to display that to you they will have to originally pay a tax to pbs to even this to display that to you this this will just snowball from every little thing which will essentially kill the search experience and like I said uh, uh, Spain had already implemented this and it essentially failed because what it did was it was basically killing smaller publications so do yourself a favor and go look this stuff up uh, because there's a lot more details involved here and again like I said if you think you know we're here in America this doesn't really affect us because we're not in the EU. Well, it does. It will eventually because the the web isn't just here in America. And like I said, if you if you depend on any kind of online commerce, uh, you know that you may have from time to time sold some things overseas and in in EU countries. And if someone's looking for something that you may be selling, with these articles in place. They may not even get a chance to see your link. You may not get a chance to make that sale overseas because they're not allowed to, you know, to display it. Now, the thing is, um, as far as the how this works, since uh, this is an EU Parliament directive, it's actually up to the individual member countries to come up with spe specific laws on how to follow them. So this has the potential of being an extremely confusing situation, as you can imagine, because, for example, let's say France says, yeah, we're going to follow the, these directives to the letter. So something may be illegal in France, but completely legal in Italy. I mean, this just keeps, you know, this just creates a whole uh, mishmash of internet standards whereas right now you know you can everybody everywhere can just search for stuff pretty much and click it and find it yada 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 but you know i i couldn't imagine being a company like google 
trying to say, okay, well, we'll set up these filters in France, undo these filters in Italy, implement these filters in Italy, but undo them in France. I mean, that's just too much. So the, the easiest way out is to just pull out. And then what kind of experience does that make? All right. So enough of all the bad news. So I want to close with something that uh, this story kind of cracked me up. And I'm going to uh, file this one under the too big to pay attention file. So as it turns out, a Lithuanian man has been literally <laughs> robbing uh, Google and Facebook blind for about $100 million simply by sending them invoices. <laughs> and it, it's crazy. Um, now, he, he pleaded guilty to fraud. I can't even say his name. It's like Evaldus Remasakis. He's about 50 years old. And he was basically sending invoices to uh, California-based tech companies between 2013 and 2015, at least according to the U.S. Justice Department. And yes, like I said, he pleaded guilty. So, And basically, he was running a company that controlled several accounts at banks in Latvia and Cyprus. And um, basically, all they did, they were posing as this uh, company called Quanta Computer, a hardware company based in Taiwan. And they had done business with Facebook and Google. <laughs> like I said, this is just an example of companies that are so big that no one's paying attention. I mean, I can imagine a company like Google, they probably get thousands of invoices a day, even Facebook, even Twitter, you know, these companies, they get just bills come in and whatnot. And the, <laughs> the funny part is they were just paying them and they were paying them in an excess of a hundred million dollars over two years. That literally just floors me. Now, of course I wouldn't, uh, encourage anyone to engage into this because uh as you see this guy got caught him and all of his associates and uh, he's facing 30 years in prison but it just it absolutely cracks me up that a company is so big that they can't even pay attention to whether or not they actually owed someone a bill now i don't know about you guys if i got more than one uh electric bill within the same week or if I got an electric bill and I didn't recognize where it was coming from I'm not paying it <laughs> but again I don't have uh, Google money or Facebook money all right guys well that ends this uh, wrap-up briefing thank you for joining me again uh, you can find me on the internet at Leo J Allen jr. and I look forward to reaching you on the next voluntary input